This is the podcast for the journal Neuropsychopharmacology. I'm Cynthia Graber. Studies have shown that stress and trauma early in life can lead to an increased risk for drug addiction later in life. In rat models developed to mimic and study this effect, some of the rats receive normal maternal care, while others receive enriched maternal care, extra grooming and attention from their mothers. Those with enriched maternal care have been shown to be less likely to return to a room in which the rats received a dose of morphine. But does that accurately represent drug use? The animals have also been shown to have neurological changes in the brain, but these changes have been correlational. In response, a new study published in the journal Neuropsychopharmacology was set up to tease out a number of aspects of this research. First, do the rats actually self-administer more drugs if they have less maternal care, perhaps mimicking early stress in life? And it turned out that they do in fact self-minister fewer opioids if they'd received enriched maternal care. And then, does the maternal care actually cause changes to the microglia in the brain, cells that are critical in mounting immune defenses and fighting infections, but also in moderating the way the brain works? Stacy Bilbo is Associate Professor of Pediatrics and Neuroscience at Harvard Medical School and is one of the study's authors. Initially, quite surprising to us and definitely novel was that the thing that is the most different about their brains is that they have what we call an anti-inflammatory response to the drug. So the control rats that don't receive enriched maternal care have what we would call an inflammatory response to morphine. So basically, more specifically, lots of different inflammatory cytokines and chemokines go up in response to morphine. And we know that if you block that reaction, then you can attenuate the amount of drug-seeking behavior that occurs. And so the, the animals that have the enriched maternal care early in life seem to just naturally have this anti-inflammatory response to the drug. But this was all correlational. So, so the main thing that we found that was different about their brains is that they have high levels of IL-10 and, or interleukin-10, which is really what we think of as one of the master regulators of cytokine expression in the brain. It's a profoundly potent anti-inflammatory cytokine. And it really seems to direct traffic in terms of, you know, other cytokines going up or down and how long they're, they're expressed and um, even whether they're expressed in the first place. And so we had this very striking correlation that we noticed that they have high IL-10 if they'd had good maternal care earlier in life. Um, so this was the attempt to show a, a direct causal uh, relationship with that. To do so, they first created a model in a Petri dish using a plasmid that contained the promoter for the IL-10 gene. In the Petri dish, the microglia ate the plasmid, and they did in fact start producing more IL-10 as a result. And so next, the team injected the plasmid directly into the rats' brains. And this was the part that had never been done before, so no one had ever taken this kind of plasmid and, and injected it directly into the brain. So we really didn't know what was going to happen. But, I mean, it was kind of uncanny the way that we replicated the behavior almost perfectly in the sense that control animals now looked like animals that had received enriched maternal care early in life. And all that was different is they had received this plasmid that uh, makes their microglia overproduce IL-10. So what they now do is they take less drug. So early stress seems to be affecting the microglia, and then that is directly affecting drug-taking behavior in the animals. Could this mimic what's happening in the human brain? For us, what is the most exciting from this work is that it illustrates 
that the, you know, we, I, I've called them inflammatory molecules or anti-inflammatory molecules, but really what we should be calling them is central immune signaling molecules or some other, you know, word that we haven't quite come up with yet. But we, we need to kind of redefine what we think about what immune molecules are doing in brain function. And so I think it it really opens up the idea that immune system molecules might be novel targets for addiction. And I, I very much believe that, that this is a likely mechanism occurring in humans. Because if you think about most neurological disorders, and we can think of addiction as one of those, nearly all of them now are known to involve the immune system. They're known to involve, and again, we can use the word inflammation. So um, I think that the finding that, that addiction is one of these is perhaps not that surprising. So could this lead to a potential path for treatment? Well, the thing is, is as I mentioned previously, IL-10 is an extremely potent molecule. It probably itself is not a very good target for therapy. And I say that because obviously we're not going to inject plasmids into the brains of addicts. And we can't dose people systemically either, so their whole body, because then they would become immunosuppressed. And many addicts are already immunosuppressed. Um, so what we, what we need to figure out now is what IL-10 is specifically targeting. So if you have high IL-10 then what's the next step in that cascade? And we have a few ideas because there are many of these um, small signaling cytokines called chemokines that are very strongly upregulated in the absence of IL-10. And many of these uh, molecules, there are already small molecule inhibitors that are in clinical use in humans for totally different reasons. So there's kind of the exciting idea that if we can nail down what it is that IL-10 is most critically modulating, then we can go after that instead of IL-10 itself. It seems really fascinating and really challenging to tease out the ways in which early stress in life can have an impact on the developing brain and then on opioid addiction later in life. Well, yeah, I mean, I think this is the holy grail of addiction research, right, is that, well, one of the holy grails, which is why do some people become addicted and not others, right? So in a sense, we've kind of figured out one thing that seems to be very highly predictive of at least drug taking. It's hard to say if a rat is a drug addict or not, but, you know, they're taking more drug or less drug. And not only that, but we've we've found this very striking difference within the brains of these animals, you know, which I think is not, as you said, it's not, it's not necessarily an easy thing to find. But I think it's because nobody has really looked before. The field is incredibly what we call neurocentric, um, so very much focused on what neurons are doing for good reason, because they're the ones that change behavior. But um, I think what has been kind of hovering all around all this time has been these other cell types and really the whole body's immune system that is really changing the way neurons respond. And I mean, the more work I do in this field, the more I believe that the immune system is such a plastic system and that goes for the brain as well. So the, the immune system within the brain is learning things very early in life retaining that information, changing the way it responds later in life. 
and it's impacting everything, not just the way we respond to infections or threats to our health. Um, it's, it's changing the way the brain functions at a fundamental level. This is the podcast for the journal Neuropsychopharmacology. To read the research paper discussed in this podcast, go to www.nature.com NPP. I'm Cynthia Graber.